Good evening, everybody. It is October 22nd, 2023. It's another live episode of The Breakdown, streaming to all the places and on the 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 X, I'm trying, spaces uh, as well. So uh, as always, after we've done our run-through of the week in Alberta politics, uh, or at least the, the loudest notes, um, we're going to open up the floor to our X spaces. Uh, so if you're on a mobile device, doesn't work on laptops or iPads or any of the really fun tech, but if you're on a mobile device, then you can absolutely uh, jump on there, join in the queue. And if you're listening to the podcast version of this, you shouldn't do that because we won't be there. Got a lot to talk about this week. We're going to start off with a feel-good story because we get those so rarely. But this was this was a nice thing that happened. Uh, started off a little scary, but uh, everything ended up really quite well. So... One of the things that a lot of people have lamented about the state of Alberta politics is it used to be there were certain issues that all people from all sides could get together on and go and say, hey, you know what, that's that's not a political thing. It's happening in the political theater, but it's not a political thing. Maybe we should let's let's just all lend some support, whether it's it's uh, moral support or through a platform or what have you. And that has been largely lacking uh, in the political space since the Mr. Mr. Kenny took office because he had his mats and they said very mean things about everybody all the time. Uh, that's just how they, that's how they did their business. But that changed this week because early, uh, eight, eight thirty-seven in the morning, Albertans woke up on uh, the 16th to discover the most famous cat, arguably in the province, certainly in Alberta political circles, I can't think of a more famous cat than Oregano. Janice Irwin's cat Oregano made a run for it, decided to go, I don't know, uh, maybe he thought it was still door knocking time. Maybe Janice Irwin door knocks all day, every day, every year. I, who knows? But Oregano made a, made a break for it. And this was this was uh, concerning for a lot of a lot of folks because oregano makes regular appearances on Janice Irwin's social media, and it's always just feel good, apolitical. It's it's a cat. People go to the internet to look at cats all the time. Here's an Alberta cat that's involved in politics. Every everybody everybody was all over it, um, and there are a lot of people who are like, "Oh no, where's oregano?" And it blew up social media uh, on the on the 16th because everybody was quite concerned. Where did where did oregano go? Is oregano okay? Worst case scenarios were flashing through everybody's head. But at 2:30 that afternoon, good news for everybody who follows Alberta politics. Mailman found oregano. Postal worker Ian just spotted him and saved the day. Thank you to Ian and to all who reached out and shared. Oregano is found. So you know, that's a feel good story. And the rest of the night is kind of uh, kind of a dumpster fire. So um, wanted to to start things off, bump the dopamine up just a little bit, uh, so that you can really feel the the fall as we go through all of the very very bad bad things. First thing that we're going to talk about though is we got to talk about the ongoing um, situation, I guess, with. The, the Red Deer Catholic School Board. Because some of you may remember a little while ago, the Red Deer School Board trustee, Monique LaGrange, who, yes, is a distant relative to Adriana LaGrange, um, 
they're not the same person. It's different Lagrange. There's apparently, it's like some Lagrange is kicking around Red Deer. But uh, she got herself in a little bit of hot water when she posted a meme, meme that uh, said brainwashing is brainwashing. Sorry, uh, yeah, no, it was brainwashing. Uh, brainwashing is brainwashing. It had a picture of a bunch of kids waving Nazi flags. Um, and then a bunch of kids wearing pride flags and a bunch of people said, hold on now, that's not at all the same thing. Um, it turned into a, a great big, uh, great big disaster, really. Uh, the Calgary or the Red Deer Catholic School Board said, whoa, that's not in line with our, our, our goals, our morals, our ethics. Um, hey, uh, Minister Nicolades, you're the Minister of Education now. Could you maybe do something about that? And Nicolades said, well, you guys have the power to do something about that. Why don't you do something about that? And then they apparently, allegedly said, oh, we don't have bylaws for that. We should probably do something else. And so they came up with a plan, a, uh, a remedial action plan for Monique Lagrange. Um, and, and, there was some media reporting about how uh, she had very clearly said she wasn't going to apologize. She didn't regret things. But it was earlier this week on request of her lawyer. So let's just be really clear about that. This was not something that was released because the the Catholic Red Deer Catholic School Board said, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna tell people what's going on here." This was these are the the minutes that were released were released on request of of her lawyer just really let that one marinate for a sec because it uh it it takes a pretty big turn pretty quick because she came out and she said that in effect and we're gonna we're gonna go to the actual statements in just a second here but she came out and she said that it was it was divine intervention was why she posted the meme comparing kids showing tolerance to kids showing intolerance, waving Nazi flags. That was, that was God told her to do that. So um, a lot of people thought, well, that sounds, that sounds pretty out there. Uh, she was quoted in multiple media sources where uh, she said that the Holy Spirit, in the vernacular that the Holy Spirit is known for using, said, go for it. But, uh, you know, it's, it's worth taking a look at what was actually released. So, the, this is a, a, a screenshot of the document that was actually released. For those of you that are listening to the audio spaces or the, the podcast, don't worry. We're gonna, I'm going I'm to run through some of the, the high points of it. So, Monique Lagrange... In her defense to the rest of the Calgary Catholic, or sorry, the Red Deer Catholic School Board. Ugh. Just drama everywhere. The Calgary Catholic School Board's the one that said, oh, we're not going to use pronouns without parents' permission. And then we got this lady up in Red Deer. It's a whole thing. Hard to keep. It's written down in front of me. I'm very bad at my job. Um, so Monique Lagrange's defense was the meme post, despite showing kids having and, and waving uh, rainbow flags. She says the meme post is not about the LGBTQ uh, community. The meme post, and this is, I'm reading directly from the, from, the, from the minutes that were released by the school board on the request of LaGrange's lawyer. Again, I just want to say that because it just blows my mind. The meme post is about indoctrination through the United Nations, which directly correlates to World War II and Nazism. 
It is about the agenda of the United Nations and Planned Parenthood, which is an attempt to sabotage our youth's identities and destinies and hijacks the LGBTQ uh, community's original mandate, which is fascinating. Um, That the pride flag, she made the argument that the pride flag is used to silence people. Children are being kicked out of school. And people are being fired, which is antithetical to the trustees' religious beliefs. And that, air quotes, cancel culture is not what is good, lawful, appropriate, or democratic. She thought that the, uh, the meme post reflected the truth about today. She informed the school board. <laughs> I was going to try to do this without laughing, but I, I just can't get there. Um, that the, the Holy Spirit said to the trustee, go for it. That's actually in the minutes. Uh, Trust the Holy Spirit and decided to share the meme post. Now, where it gets even more uh, fascinating is the lawyer, Monique LaGrange's lawyer, um, it was it has a fascinating litigation history we're not going to get into tonight. He, uh, there's this, this clip of him uh, reenacting things, I guess, made the rounds as well. Sitting there, she saw the meme. She said, "Ah, that's pretty accurate. I think that's I think that's pretty fitting." Well, should I post this? So she prayed about it. She prayed, and the Holy Spirit said, "Yeah, yeah, you should go ahead. Thanks for seeking my guidance. Here you go. Yeah, it's a good idea. Go ahead. You were you were on the right path." <laughs> uh, there's no way to get it. You see, it's 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 so ridiculous that it's funny, but it's also you know objectively alarming. Because the the reality is, Monique Lagrange remains technically a a school board trustee for the Red Deer Catholic School Board. Her roles and responsibilities have been severely, severely limited. Many would argue as they should be, um, but that's her, her lawyer. For those of you that are listening to the audio, he actually did the the head down reenactment of the. The prayer and ever everything. So there's there's that. Moving on from there, we got a a fascinating little update. Actually, no, sorry. Before we do, we're gonna we're gonna finish off um, talking about Monique Lagrange because there's of course more. Monique Lagrange, who claims that the Holy Spirit literally told her go for it, as we've highlighted elsewhere on the show, uh, she has a fascinating interpretation of, uh, let's go with with theology and religion. Um, And she's got a product line to to back that up. Now, all of these social media accounts have since been locked down, but she was running a company called Wisdom's Closet. And uh, she she sold T-shirts about how she was obsessed with Jesus. Um, to read from this one here. Today is the day that we team up and partner with Jesus to use his word to change atmospheres throughout the world. I am designing custom t-shirts and apparel with words from Jesus Christ on them. They are Holy Spirit inspired. Clearly she meant that literally. Prayed over and a revelation from God. Grab yours today. And it's not just a one-off. She's got a whole product line. She's got aprons. She makes her, she makes her own memes um, the, she's got this one. I pray that your business slash ministry has the unmistakable fragrance of the victory of the anointed one to God in Jesus name. I'm curious what that, what that smells like. 
What's what is what is that bouquet? What is what is the 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 perfume of the unmistakable fragments of the victory of the anointed one? I, I'm just curious what that is. It I bet it's like lavender. Moving on from there. Um, we got to talk about the the payroll. Um, some of you who've been following the show for some time are probably quite aware. There is a reality that uh, there have been, for quite some time now, uh, discussions going on about Daniel Smith's children's fever and pain medication project. One of the very first things that she did when she became premier was she made an announcement that the province of Alberta, because there was at the time a shortage of children's Tylenol uh, and children's ibuprofen, the, she came up with this plan that she was going to get um, the, the company owned by Dr. Oz's mom that made the precursor so the ingredients, not the medication itself, but the ingredients, she was going to get them to put together uh, $80 million worth of, of children's ibuprofen and children's acetaminophen in these new formulations in glass bottles. It was going to be great. It was going to be here before Christmas, and then it wasn't here before Christmas, and then it was delayed even longer after that because they didn't have the appropriate Health Canada approvals. And Daniel Smith and, at the time, Health Minister Jason Copping said, no, no, it's cool because even if there is extra that we don't need to use we're going to sell it to other provinces and then other provinces said no we don't want to buy any of that thank you the regular stuff's back in stock and yours is weird because it's got a different dosing than all of the other stuff that's out there it's a little confusing we'd rather not go with that plus we can get the the regular stuff for cheaper because the province of Alberta paid approximately $14 a bottle for this stuff. And then they said, no, no, it's cool. Cause what we're going to do is we're going to use it in hospitals. We're going to use it for Albertans in the healthcare system. It's going to be great. Well, it turns out no a uh, news story ran this week on October 20th. Alberta hospitals were directed to stop using imported Turkish pain medication after six months. Now, we don't even have the full shipment yet. That's important to, to take into context. We haven't paid the full shipment, but we're tied to it. So we're going to be getting a lot more of this stuff over the next few little whiles. But apparently there was a order that was issued to all of Alberta Health Services saying, hey, there's been some concerns raised about the dosing. So here's what we're going to do. We're not going to use it. We're going to put it in storage, and in case of emergency, we'll have lots. $80 million for children's Tylenol and children's ibuprofen. Knockoff children's Tylenol and children's ibuprofen that was dosed inconsistently with the rest of all of the different formulations of children's acetaminophen and children's ibuprofen. Um... And now it's just going to sit on shelves. This vanity project that Danielle Smith put together to own the feds because she felt like the feds weren't moving quick enough to get the manufacturers to just make more Tylenol materialize. This $80 million vanity project has netted confusion and apparently warehouse storage space, which I imagine taxpayers are paying for as well. Um, and it's all just gonna, gonna sit there and, and expire eventually. Because according to this news story, 
AHS has said, we're going to go back and use the regular stuff too. So nobody is going to be using, unless there's another shortage, nobody is going to be using this $80 million boondoggle that, that Danielle Smith cooked up so she could order a bunch of drugs from Dr. Oz's mom's company. And I wish I was making that up, but go ahead and Google it. I'm absolutely not. Moving on from there, we're going to talk about programs that are uh, considered to be tremendous wastes of money. Let's talk about the Tell the Feds program. We got a lot of, of, of good money waste and stories to talk about tonight, but let's talk about the, the Tell the Feds program. So one of the, the things about $8 million worth that Daniel Smith has decided that she wants to do is she launched a program to tell the Feds, you know what, these, these carbon neutral, these net zero targets that you've set of getting our power grid to net zero by 2035. They're just so unreasonable. Can't be done. We can't do it. The technology doesn't exist. Meh, we could probably do it by 2050, though. 2050 is when everything's supposed to be net zero. But Daniel Smith has made particular issue about power generation. Now, this has come into play in a couple of different areas. We know that Daniel Smith has put the renewables moratorium on where no new renewable, renewable energy projects over one megawatt were going to be approved. Um, that remains in place for the time being. Um, she has expressed great frustration. And I'm not even joking when I say that. She's expressed great frustration over the fact that there are lots of renewable projects in the queue. There's tons of people that want to invest in Alberta for renewable energy. But nobody wants to make any major new natural gas uh, power generation projects. And that's just really confusing and frustrating for her because she really likes natural gas. And she wants to have more natural gas some people might say, because that's what her donors have told her to do. Um, but her whole beef with the 2035 piece is she believes that after 2035, if there are any natural gas plants that are uh, still in operation, and of course there would be, because they are a big, important part of Alberta's baseload power, then if they did not have net zero this is the line that she repeats over and over again. Then according to the government website, even though the federal government has said that's not what, what it says at all, uh, CEOs would be arrested and dragged off to jail. Now, the feds have said CEOs are not going to be arrested and dragged off to jail. At most, there might be fines if they were found to be in major breach of what the, the policy looks like. But again, and it came up again this week, that's not what we're talking about. That's not what's going to happen. From the story that we've got on the screen right now, the regulations would allow newer gas plants to continue serving the grid for a period well beyond 2035 without constraint. And for all gas plants to provide power within certain limits when demand peaks or renewables aren't producing. And in case of emergency, natural gas generation could operate as needed to ensure electricity remains stable. So all of the big scary things that Daniel Smith is talking about and spending $8 million on a nationwide campaign that's only going on in four provinces, uh, all of those really bad things aren't actually happening. So that's super fun. 
Now, in our last episode, I suppose I should say moving on from there. On our last episode, we had a boatload of fun because if you remember last Saturday, Danielle Smith did her Your Province, Your Premier. And one of the questions that came up is, hey, how come there's no in-person consultations in regards to the pension situation? Why, why isn't there uh, the opportunity to have in-person town halls like you did with the Fair Deal panel? Um, why, well, not, it was Kenny, but the UCP did with the Fair Deal panel. Why can't we have those in-person meetings? Why can't, why can't that be an option? And Danielle Smith justified it uh, in a, a fascinating way. Ask Jim Dinning, Moin Yaya, and um, and uh, Mary. Oh my goodness, um, we <laughs> the person who used to be on this head of the CPPIB board. Sorry, I've forgotten her name. Three person panel that is going to be doing a broad based consultation. We're starting with five telephone town halls so that people can give their feedback. And right. No, that's starting on Monday, but there's no planned in-person engagements, as I understand. Yeah, we. I mean, we got I think three hundred thousand people that participated in our in-person engagements before. I just love listening to that. 300,000 people participated in the in-person engagements. So we can't possibly replicate that. And that's probably true because that's not what happened. It was 2,500. And Smith did on um, early in the week, she did walk back that claim uh, where she said, okay, so I know I said that it was was 300,000, but I misspoke. As seems to be her 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 thing, um, it wasn't actually three hundred thousand. It was it was twenty. She claimed her office claimed it was was three thousand, but according to the actual Fair Deal panel report, it was twenty five hundred. Now these uh, these phone consultations, these phone based town halls, have gotten a lot of heat pushed back. We're going to talk about that in a sec, but before we do, we got to talk about some of the other criticisms that have come forward in regards to the uh, the, the fair deal um, panel's recommendation of going forward with an Alberta pension plan. One of the bigger ones to certainly take note of is the the, the concerns that were raised by the Calgary Chamber of Commerce. They issued a statement this week where they really didn't pull any punches at all. The Alberta Pension Plan proposal is complex and has far-reaching implications for businesses and investors in Alberta and across Canada, says Chamber President uh, Deborah Yedlin. Dismantling existing systems and altering our pension system could compromise labour mobility from other provinces, the benefits of risk pooling that comes with a larger pension fund, and investor confidence. We urge the government to strongly consider and prioritize stability across all public policy decisions. There is no certainty Alberta will continue to benefit from having a young population as it currently does, and we remain price takers for our natural resources, making future revenue streams uncertain, said the Chamber. Adding an APP, or an Alberta pension plan, would create investor uncertainty. So this is, this is not a small, a small thing. This is not a small thing to dismiss. And the risks that exist within an Alberta pension plan are one of the biggest areas that haven't been talked about. It hasn't been a big part of the conversation, at least on the government's side. Now, one of the other big concerns that exists with these town halls and the criticism that has been leveled towards these town halls is it very much to participants, to some participants, feels like the whole thing is being orchestrated in order to manufacture 
consent. It's the, these town halls. A lot of people are saying are not about uh, providing a, a fulsome discussion. They're not about providing all of the information that Albertans need to make a decision as to whether or not uh, they should vote in a referendum, for example, to leave the Canada Pension Plan. Lots of experts have made it very, very clear that this conversation is very one-sided. And there's a lot of people that are very concerned that uh, even the chair, Jim Dinning, hasn't been doing a good job of facilitating the conversation. And that perhaps became alarmingly clear during uh, an interview that he did with CBC's Power and Politics, where the conversation, the question came up about, hey, the quality of the survey. Hey, the, the, there's a concern that people don't have the right amount of information. And it seems like one of the things that Mr. Denning responded with was, well, there's a boatload of people who are grossly misinformed anyways. So, you know, maybe we'll just go ahead with the referendum and, and you know, we'll, we'll see what we see, but we'll play the clip and let you judge for yourself. Do you have enough, enough flexibility to be able to recommend that a referendum not go forward until all those facts and negotiations are established and concluded? That's a, that's a very good question. Uh, and it's a good question that I'm going to deftly step aside from and say, let us get through the rest of the, con- the at least these first five meetings and, and hear what Albertans say. And if, 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 there's, if they say, God, that petty person is that that miss miss petty person <laughs> is 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 she spoke my words then we'll know that but but i can tell you that there are some who would say absolutely not I, I don't care if i know what the number is down to the penny you don't have any pennies left in the country i don't care what that what is there the answer is no for others the answer is Get on with it. I don't care what the final number is. Just get on. And Do get you out. really think people don't care what the final number is? Seriously? No, no. I'm. I'm t- well, you know, you I mean, talk to. Come on. I talk to. No, no. Seriously, there are people who say, "Get out of the Canada Pension Plan. Bring that capital back to Alberta, where the the decisions about how it ought to be invested are made here in Alberta, not in Toronto." Kathleen, you, you don't tell me you haven't heard somebody actually say oh, such a sentence. I'm sure we can find people to say all kinds of things, but yeah, I'm ta- but I'm talking right. about the the average person. Could you not reasonably conclude to conclude it for yourself? Would you want to vote on a referendum question where you didn't know what the result would end up uh, meaning you, for you, you? It's a good question, but you know what? It's, it's this is not about me. I'm listening. No, no, I know it's not about uh, you, but, no, but, no, no, but, but I'm is, saying... But it's important. I, you want you to quite rightly uh, drag me into uh, these kinds of details and this kind of politics. I, I, I'm just not foregoing there. So that's the chair of the panel, Jim Dinning, um, who's, who's got a little bit of a background in finance. And... Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in what he said there. But the, the, the biggest thing is he was asked at the beginning of that whole exchange, do you have the ability to recommend that we don't go forward with a referendum? And he straight up said, I'm not going to answer that question, which is 
really quite telling because there's no downside in saying, I do have the ability to recommend one way or the other. And based on the feedback that we get from Albertans, that'll be the recommendation that I make. That's the answer that he used at the press conference that he, uh, when this whole thing was launched. That's the line that Smith has been repeating. But for some reason, he couldn't get to a place where he could say that. This combined with other remarks from Smith and other government officials has led people to very strongly believe the decision's already been made. There will be a referendum on an Alberta pension plan. This is all, this whole program that we're, we're seeing with the $8 million in advertising, this is all, like I said earlier, about manufacturing consent. And more importantly, this is all about Danielle Smith being able to use a million dollars a month because that's what it works out to. Roughly a million dollars a month of taxpayers' money to advertise her position, to build her profile. This is, many people are saying, subsidized campaigning. She's using this whole opportunity to spend a stunning amount of money, particularly when there is an affordability crisis going on in Alberta. There is a housing crisis going on in Alberta. Between the two programs, between the pension advertising program and between the Tell the Feds program, we're talking about $15 million of taxpayers' money that's going towards two programs that can't identify clearly what their goals are. But what's even more wild is that Mr. Denning used the some people say. Now, this is a strategy that's used in communications to not attribute, to not provide any sort of quantifiable evidence. But because you're not using a specific name, it means you can't be proven wrong. So you can say... Some people say that, uh, I don't know, Jason Kenney is the, the reincarnation of uh, the Alexander the Great. I'm sure somebody at some point has said that. It doesn't make it valid. It doesn't make it true. And the fact that Mr. Dinning is making the argument that people who do not have all of the information, people who do not have anywhere they don't even care about the information for them this decision is ideological purely should alarm everybody we've said it many times on the show before the foundation of a healthy democracy is a well-informed electorate and mr dinning is abdicating entirely his responsibility as chair of this panel to ensure that the electorate is educated. He's even going so far as to say it doesn't even matter if they know what the facts are. It doesn't even matter what the facts are. Doesn't matter. As long as somebody said at some point that they want to get out because they don't like Justin Trudeau's socks, that's a valid reason to pull Alberta out of the pension. And the reality is it's not. The decision about whether or not to withdraw Alberta from the pension, the Canadian pension, should not be an emotional decision because the consequences are significant for the rest of the country and they have the potential to be absolutely massive for the province of Alberta. 
This is one of the reasons why the, the town halls have been panned as being so badly. One of the questions that came up over and over and over again during the first town hall was, can we get some details? What are the numbers here? Because you're using the words could and potentially and maybe a lot, but I could have a unicorn land on the roof of my house. That could happen. Anybody with a clear head knows that it's not gonna, but it could happen. That sort of language, when we're talking about the futures of Albertans, the security of Albertans, particularly during a time of significant insecurity and stability, that kind of language is really quite scary for a lot of people. Nowhere on the website, on the forward-facing website, Alberta Pension, um, does, it, does it say anything about what the risks are? It's like the Simpsons episode where the monorail guy comes to town and he does the song and the dance and he convinces everybody to get the monorail and then the whole thing turns into a giant disaster because it wasn't planned out and it wasn't implemented well from the beginning. But you don't need to take that from me. We had a conversation earlier this week with economist Dr. Trevor Toome. Dr. Toome is somebody who's known for being at times painfully objective. One of the things that we've learned in the, the conversations that we've had with Dr. Toome is that when it comes to gray areas, when it comes to areas where there's maybe a little bit of wiggle room, his, his answer, nine times out of 10, will be, you know, reasonable people can agree or disagree. But as we saw, and it really is, if you haven't listened to the episode, you should go back, listen to the episode, watch it on the YouTubes, because Dr. Tim walks through not only what are pensions, how do they work, but also he talks about the very significant risks that are involved with Alberta leaving the Canada Pension Plan. All of the things that we would be giving up and all of the risks that we would be assuming that we don't face currently. But Dr. Toom didn't equivocate at all when we asked him about the quality of the conversation that Daniel Smith is presenting to Albertans. Yes or no? I'll make it easy. Do you believe that the provincial government has provided Albertans with accurate information or complete information or the amount of information that's required to make a decision of this magnitude? So no question, the government has not provided complete information. It hasn't provided the right information that Albertans need to evaluate this choice. What it's presented is some information. And again, it's accurate as far as the calculations go from assumptions to results. Uh, but it, it's not what Albertans need to fairly decide this question. And then layer on top of that, the government... Um, is not really engaging with Albertans either. It's a large-scale marketing campaign to try and convince Albertans about the merits of an Alberta pension plan, but using, as, we, as we've talked about at length here, using very rosy projections in order to tilt the scales. Uh, that was our Twitter clip, so it had the little music thing at the end. Um, but that's Dr. Dr. Toom making no bones about the fact that the conversation 
that Danielle Smith wants to have with the province of Alberta is a very, very one-sided one. And it's not a conversation. It's not a back and forth based on the best available information. It's a sales pitch, period, end of sentence. And that sales pitch is deliberately going out of their way to say, whatever you do, don't read the fine print. And there's been some other folks that have stepped up in a big way to say this is an unmitigated disaster. One of the biggest ones, perhaps, is the actual folks at the Canada Pension Plan. So the Canada Pension Plan Board wrote to Mr. Dinning raising concerns specifically about the, uh, the, the survey that has been put forward as well as the quality of the, the interaction. I'll read one of the paragraphs here. First, your panel invites Albertans to, quote, have your say in a survey that fails to meet key principles of effective and a meaningful consultation with the public. We engaged a third-party research firm to analyze the survey against best practices of public engagement. They concluded that it failed to meet its objectives of effective public consultation. Copy of the report is enclosed. Among their findings, they observed that it asked respondents to provide feedback on an idealized positive outcomes of a theoretical provincial pension plan without providing any contextual information about how different or how difficult such outcomes might be and the corresponding risks risks and drawbacks. Most concerning is the starting point of assuming that every individual who responds to the survey wants to leave the CPP and start an APP. The survey is unfortunately formulated to direct opinions rather than seek them. Now, the letter goes on to highlight issues with the advertising campaign. It highlights that there are issues with how the conversation is being led And then they make the request that they would like to provide a submission to highlight the benefits of CPP to Albertans. They want to be able to dissect and highlight the shortcomings of the LifeWorks report, which a lot of people have panned. Even Dr. Toom raised some very real concerns he has with the LifeWorks report and its estimations uh, and the risks inherent to an APP proposal. Second, we want to be provided an opportunity to testify before your panel to place these same arguments on the record and answer any questions that you might have of us. But of course, the problem is that these are orchestrated town halls. These are town halls where the the province has its list of phone numbers for people who have made submissions saying that they want to ask questions, and uh, the they get to conduct it how they see fit. And of course, Danielle Smith in a press conference this week had a response to the CPP. The CPP investment board called the Alberta Pension Plan advertising campaign biased. Uh, it also stated that the public survey assumes that respondents want to leave the CPP for the APP and that it directs opinions rather than seeking them. Uh, why is the survey so biased and presupposes the outcome? Well, the CPB Investment Board has been advertising in Alberta for years now on this, so I don't, I don't know that they're necessarily an honest, independent third party. I think that they have a, a vested interest in uh, us not having this conversation. So, you know, I'll take that under advisement. But what I would prefer to see from the CPP Investment Board is to give us their assessment, their actuaries. Um, they had, a, had an opportunity to hire an independent assessment to judge our consultation. Maybe they should hire an independent 
independent assessment to give us the response that we need about what they think the alternative is. If they think that we have interpreted the uh, act wrong, then it's up to them to tell us what the appropriate numbers are. So I encourage them to, to do that work so that we can have the, the conversation. If they think that we're incorrect, then it's incumbent upon them to, uh, to tell us what the alternative is. They haven't done that work and they should. So Daniel Smith's argument there is a, I mean, she, right out of the gate, she says that she doesn't, she's not sure how honest the CPP is, which is a fascinating allegation to make. Uh, but she also goes on to say, hey, you know what, if our numbers are wrong, then it's up to anybody who has concerns about our numbers being wrong to do the work to say, hey, your numbers are wrong. And that's a fascinating argument to make because She's effectively saying, we highballed this thing so much. Oh, we, we said we were going to take a tremendous piece of the pie on this thing. Um, we, we're going to basically take more than, when you break it up, we're going to take more than actually exists for our share, according to the formula that we used. Because if everybody took the amount that the formula that Smith & Co. used, there would be not enough money in the, the pension to go around. So there's that. But here's the other thing. Legitimate, credible experts in their field, like Dr. Toom, have done that work, and they've said, yeah, that 50% number-ish that you're hitting on, it's not going to be anywhere near that. Um, Dr. Toom says that even 20% is an optimistic interpretation. And when we're talking about a reduction of more than half by the potential benefits, that's a big change to the conversation that the way that Daniel Smith has presented it. That's a really significant and important change. But instead of acknowledging that that work has already been done by professionals, people who spend their lives studying economics, Rather than acknowledge that work and say, hey, somebody did the work. Our numbers are radically different than their numbers. Perhaps before we take this to the public, we should try to reconcile this as opposed to selling the best possible interpretation of things. Maybe we should try to get as close to the truth as we can. Instead of saying that, Daniel Smith is saying, I want the CPP, who I've already cast in an adversarial role. I want them to come in with a number. Now, obviously, that number is going to be lower than whatever Danielle Smith and co. have said. And then Danielle Smith's response is obviously going to be, see, they're just trying to screw us more. She's setting them up for failure. And it's very clear from the way that this whole conversation has been conducted so far, she doesn't have any interest in having an actual conversation. So that response was pure political strategy and nothing else. But it wasn't just the CPP who stepped up this week to say, oh, yeah, that's not, uh, that's not great. Because the Prime Minister of Canada also weighed in this week. He hit, hit back um, and he had some, some very real concerns. Here's the letter that uh, the Prime Minister of Canada sent out. There's a couple of highlights that are definitely worth paying attention to. I'm deeply concerned that your government has proposed to withdraw Albertans from the Canada Pension Plan. Alberta's withdrawal would weaken the pensions of millions of seniors and hardworking people in Alberta and right across the country. The harm it was caused is undeniable. So let's be clear. In that phrasing, 
Prime Minister of Canada, is saying it will harm Albertans, it will harm Canadians. And it's important to remember, Albertans are also Canadians. So when he refers to Canadians later on in the letter, it's entirely reasonable to think maybe he's also referring to Albertans. Withdrawing Albertans from the Canada Pension Plan would expose millions of Canadians to greater volatility and would deny them the certainty and stability that has benefited generations. I have instructed my cabinet and officials to take all necessary steps to ensure Albertans and Canadians are fully aware of the risks of your plan and to do everything possible to ensure the CPP remains intact. We will not stand by as anyone seeks to weaken pensions and reduce the retirement income of Canadians. Now, that's a really important part of the conversation. Now, Smith has chosen to uh, take the position, oh, he's saying he's not going to let us vote. He's trying to stop democracy. And that's not anywhere in the letter. What the Prime Minister of Canada and the leader of the opposition and dozens and dozens and dozens of experts who have done the math and weighed in are all saying is, Danielle, the plan that you're presenting is overly optimistic. In fact, Dr. Toom, in the conversation that we had, <laughs> he said there's literally a 0% chance, absolute 0% chance of Alberta walking away with what Danielle Smith has proposed which means everything that she's trying to sell Albertans isn't real. It's not unreasonable for the Prime Minister of Canada or the leader of the provincial opposition to say, hey, you know what? Um, maybe the, maybe, uh, maybe you, don't, you don't lie to people. Maybe we could try giving, giving that a try. But of course, conservatives, there are some in the conservative circles who will say, oh, yeah, but that's Rachel Notley and Justin Trudeau. And they've got their alliance. It's the Justin, it's the Notley Singh Trudeau alliance. And so they'll all agree with each other. You won't find a, a real conservative. You won't find like a hardline conservative saying that Alberta should, should not leave. You certainly wouldn't see that from someone like Pierre Polyev, except that's exactly what we saw this week. Pierre Polyev did, in fact, come out and say, you know what? Um, I think Alberta should stay in the CPP. Now, he also used the opportunity to say, oh, this is all Trudeau's fault. He destabilized the nation, and now I will say mean things about my opponent. But even with that framing... Polyev said Alberta should stay within the CPP. Literally all of the political leaders that are involved in this, except for Danielle Smith, are saying this is a very bad idea. But for some reason, Danielle Smith and her cadre of panel members and supporters are refusing to look at the situation objectively because they've already got a goal in mind. It's worth realizing we now live in a universe where Trudeau, Notley, and Polyev agree on something. That's, that's pretty wild. But, you know, as much as, as Mr. Polyev is a... Uh, uh, 
a toxin, some people might say. If Jim can do it, I can too. As much as Polyev is a, a, a pox on the Canadian political scene, some people might say. At least he's consistent. Because in 2020, he posted a 10-minute tirade where he stood up in the House of Commons and he made his positions and his reasons for pensions not being messed with by politicians abundantly clear. Now ask yourself as we play some of the highlights from that. We're not going to play the whole 10 minutes because 10 minutes of Polyev is a lot of Polyev. But as he's listing through the things, ask yourself if there's any similarities. Surface appears a noble attempt to direct our pension funds uh, exclusively towards uh, the common good. But uh, the old adage is that the how is even more important than the what. And the devil is in the details. Because the honorable member who proposes this bill is afraid of the devils, the devil, he has avoided the details altogether in his bill. Think about it. This is a government that can't provide clean drinking water to First Nations people, violating human rights. A government here who violates its own environmental promises does give us an opportunity to discuss a new and growing risk that I have worried quietly about for a long time. The CPPIB was depoliticized back in the 1990s. It is a credit to the then Liberal government that they took what was a nearly bankrupt shell that was highly politicized and whose funds were directed by politicians. And they said, we're going to get the sticky fingers and incompetent hands of politicians out of the pensions of Canadians, and we're going to put it in the hands of effectively a group of private sector professionals to invest it and obtain a return. And since that time, the fund has grown from insolvency to $456 billion, almost a half a trillion dollars. Now, I hesitated to say that in this place because a lot of politicians just got really big eyes, thinking, oh my goodness, what could we do with that? All the schemes they could come up with to deploy a half trillion dollars, my goodness. How long will it be if they keep spending at this pace before they start to say, oh my goodness, we're out of money, we're broke, and now we need to start looking at that big pot of gold that Canadians had set aside. We on this Conservative side will fight tooth and nail to keep the hands of politicians off of the pensions of Canadians. We on the Conservative side will fight to keep the, the CPP depoliticized with the single purpose of giving an honest return to our hardworking Canadian employees and the retirees who depend on that fund. Thank you. Mr. Paul, yeah, it's pretty clear he's got some big concerns with, the, with people messing with pensions. He thinks the details are critically important. We have no details in regards to the conversation that Daniel Smith is leading on the pension. He says that the track record, policy track record, matters. Refer you back to our earlier story from the evening where Daniel Smith managed to waste $80 million of taxpayers' money on... Drugs that no one wanted 
despite the fact that she promised they would. The $15 million in advertising campaigns that people have said very clearly are ineffective if they're trying to achieve their stated goals. And if they're not, then Danielle Smith is very clearly trying to manipulate Albertans. She's trying to manipulate the outcome as opposed to having a real conversation. And then perhaps the greatest point that he makes in that, that whole uh, diatribe is uh, politicians are going to want to get their hands on this money so they can direct it to their pet projects. And a real conservative would never allow that to happen. It's not like Danielle Smith has said before that that's something that she would consider. The CPP is the investment board's woke agenda, where they're starting to divest itself of oil and gas investments, with withdraws funds from those companies into doing more development. And APP would fix this by ensuring an investment into our own industries. 100%. Um, I, there, there, it is, we'd have to have a conversation about that, because the way Norway operates its sovereign fund is that they do not do investments in Norwegian companies to avoid the appearance of crony capitalism. So I'll put that to you. However, Quebec uses all of its mechanisms of financing to provide special tax credits and supports to its local industry, which allows them to come here and be able to compete against our, com our companies that don't have the same supports. So there's a couple of different models. I don't know which one we would, we, we would settle on here, but if the rest of the country, especially the big banks and the big pension funds, are going to be punishing our industry. Did you see Antonio Guterres' comments? He was speaking to a, a convocation ceremony of graduates, telling them not to get jobs in the fossil fuel industry. And credit to Sonia Savage, our energy minister, saying that's bananas. Because whether it's hydrogen, whether it's carbon capture, whether it's carbon technology turning carbon, carbon dioxide into useful products, or whether it's going to be in reclamation of our well sites, that there are all kinds of ways that uh, the future leaders are, uh, and graduates are going to, to have high paying, excellent jobs in the energy sector. So it's absurd. I mean, these extremists who are at the heads of these international agencies, I have no idea why our prime minister feels we need to suck up to them. They are dangerous and we need to push back against them. Um, so one of the ways we push back is making sure that we repatriate our own investment dollars so that we can, if we need to, make sure that we can counteract some of that hostility. Got to use the pension money to repatriate it. We got to repatriate it, bring those dollars back to Alberta, invest them back in Alberta to fight back against the woke agenda, which is how all solid investment decisions are made. But that was only one Danielle Smith clip in May of, of 2022. It's not like that's, you know, like a narrative that she repeated over and over again. I had been told that uh, the amount of revenues that are sitting in that CPP fund, $700 billion in assets, 400 billion are contributions that came from Alberta because we over contribute. Well, if we had our own pension plan, not only would we be able to reduce the premiums to make it easier to hire workers, we'd also be able to increase the amount of money that we pay our seniors. And on top of that, we would develop a pot of money that we could choose to invest where we want to. So just to be clear, Pierre Polyev in 2020 listed off a whole bunch of reasons why politicians should not be messing with pension funds. And here in Alberta, 
we've managed to tick off pretty much all of those reasons. All of those, all of those things that Pierre Polyev said conservatives should fight against because uh, it's it's a good conservative thing to do or something. Um, we have no details. Danielle Smith's track record when it comes to throwing away taxpayers' money speaks for itself. Her policy speaks for itself. She has not said that she will not use the notwithstanding clause to protect to. To, to override human rights in the province of Alberta, as has been done in other provinces. And she very clearly has aspirations for how that money should be used. So it's her own words on multiple occasions. There's a mystery here. But of course, Daniel Smith had a response for the prime minister. And uh, again, this is where the overall political strategy really starts to show itself. Her response, it is disingenuous and inappropriate for you to stoke fear in the hearts of minds and Canadian retirees on this issue. While there would indeed be some effect on the CPP should Albertans decide via referendum to withdraw from the CPP and establish our own pension plan, the effects would not be as remotely as severe as you imply. She then goes on to say uh, the report estimated that the maximum increase to employee contribution rates for Canadians remaining in the CPP would that would be necessary to maintain the current benefits um, and stability of the CPP in the event that Alberta withdraws would be only $175 per year. She then goes on the attack about the carbon tax. But here's where, again, the political strategy shines through. I would also invite you, Prime Minister, provide us with your government's actuarial analysis and interpretation of the CPP Act withdrawal formula as it applies to Alberta's potential withdrawal from the CBP and invite you to come to Alberta and sit down and discuss the matter as civilized and measured leaders of our respective governments. So Smith is absolutely asking the Prime Minister to come in and say, hey, you know what? Um, you're, you're unrealistic numbers that literally everybody except for you and your team have said are wildly unrealistic numbers are unrealistic. So then she can immediately turn around and go, see the CPP and Justin Trudeau and the academic elites, they're all trying to screw Alberta. And it's not that anybody's trying to screw Alberta. It's just reality. And that's very clearly something that Daniel Smith has a bit of a problem accepting. Now, there are some people who would like to say, well, hey, you know what? Maybe Travis Taves, uh, the former finance minister, maybe maybe Daniel Smith, maybe they didn't know about uh, the, the risks. Maybe nobody's ever said to them, hey, there's these massive, massive risks that you would be assuming that don't exist if you stay within the CPP. Maybe that's never been brought to their attention. Unfortunately for them, though, that's not the case either. We received a copy of a document that we've since found out was actually part of a FOIP that was done in 2020. Um that somehow fell through a, a stunning amount of cracks uh, that highlights there are tremendous risks to leaving the CPP and forming an APP. It goes through quite a few of the details 
Now, this is a four-page briefing note with three pages of uh, supplemental information. Allegedly, there's a much larger report that's out there. We maybe, maybe we'll fight that. Um, but that's the... That's the reality. This report was put in front of Tavis Taves. Tavis Taves was Danielle Smith's finance minister. And it's worth noting that the initial report that was commissioned by the Fair Deal panel by Jason Kenney to make the decision, to make the recommendations as to whether or not uh, Alberta should pursue an Alberta pension plan, that was supposed to be ready like two years ago. And then all of a sudden, it was held back for major revisions. One could speculate that perhaps one of the reasons why there were so many revisions that were required was because the initial report lined up very much like the 2019 report that Travis Taves got. And it said there's some very major risks. There's some really big downsides to pursuing this. But that's not what Daniel Smith and Rob Anderson wanted to present to Albertans. What they wanted to present to Albertans was a sales pitch. And so they needed to put a great big shine on that turd. Some people might speculate that's what caused the delay to the report. Obviously, we can't say for sure. But there are some people who are stepping up and saying, yeah, no, that's not, that's not great. We're not, uh, we're not super thrilled with that. So uh, we're going to see what we can do to organize against it. The Alberta Federation of Labor announced that they, uh, they're going to be spearheading uh, a campaign here in Alberta. We need a Remain campaign, a campaign to keep Alberta in the Canada Pension Plan, uh, said Alberta Federation of Labor President Gil McGowan to a crowd of 1,000 registered nurses gathered in Edmonton. Um, but that campaign needs to come from Alberta, not Ottawa. It needs to be Albertans who lead the charge. It needs to be Albertans who debunk the myths and challenge the lies. It needs to be Albertans who push back and defend our own retirement security. McGowan delivered the AFL's commitment to act as a catalyst and convener for a province-wide campaign the day after Prime Minister Trudeau sent a letter to Alberta Premier Daniel Smith warning that he wouldn't stand by while anyone seeks to weaken the pensions and reduce the retirement income of Canadians, including Albertans. So it seems pretty clear what... Uh, what Mr. McGowan's concerns are. And there was a, maybe a little bit of an exchange on the social media machine this week where uh, there were some people who said, hey, you know what? Um, he is the prime minister of the whole country and the whole country would be affected if Alberta was to leave the CPP. Maybe instead of Albertans already always behaving like we're some sort of independent nation, uh, we need to behave a little bit more as Canadians. Um, Mr. McGowan didn't like that. Uh, <laughs> um, there was a, there was a, little bit, a little bit of a back and forth that happened on the Twitter machines, the X machines, um, where uh, Mr. McGowan made it very clear. His position is that there are too many Albertans who just hate Trudeau. And so if Trudeau and the federal government try to run any sort of campaign, everybody's going to just dismiss it out of hand, which is, to some people's interpretations, a tragically low reading of the average Albertan's capacity to synthesize information. One would argue, one could argue, that if the unions, air quotes, are the ones leading the charge, all of the same people who hate Trudeau, all of the same people who dislike 
the the progressives and the NDPs and all, you know, the the unions are just tied to the NDP. So this is just the NDP running a proxy campaign. All of those arguments still occur. They just occur with a different target. At the end of the day, the reality of any change of people's minds, and it's worth noting, it's really hard to change people's minds. It can be done. And it has to be done with kindness and conversation. But the best way to arm Albertans who care about keeping their pensions with the CPP is to provide them with all of the information that they need. And the UCP and Danielle Smith and the Alberta government have made it very clear they have abdicated their responsibility to do that. Which means it's incumbent on everyone else to source out the best information that they can from quality, well-respected sources like Dr. Toom, who's written a couple of papers on this whole subject, to ensure that when they're having conversations with their friends, with their family, in the run-up to the referendum, because God knows that's going to happen... And we're going to be living in two years of this conversation, talking about the fact that Daniel Smith's proposal is predicated on the idea that Alberta will continue to keep a disproportionately young population. And there's a lot of reasons why that could happen, but there's also a whole lot of reasons why that could change. It's also an important part to talk about the fact that when you invest more money in bigger chunks, you get more returns. That's just basic math. So if Alberta stays with the CPP, there's greater security to those investments, there's greater resiliency to those investments, and there's greater return on investment to those investments. Because the money that gets generated in the CPP isn't just coming from people who are paying their pension dues, it's also coming from all kinds of different investments. And as Mr. Polyev, the conservative's conservative himself said in that diatribe, you can go and listen to it. You just go to his Twitter page and search Polyev pension. It's the first, first thing that shows up for us. Uh, he was very clear. The CPP has been unbelievably well managed for the last 20, 25 years. And it's being unbelievably well-managed because it's being managed by professionals, not politicians who want to use that money to fight some sort of woke agenda or to prop up industries that may or may not be in their waning or dying days. And now we move to the part of our program that, uh, that we like to call... The, the stuff that Danielle Smith says this week. And we're going to start off with, uh, with, with we're going we're gonna to pivot from pensions to Danielle Smith saying words with, uh, with this little piece from the press conference where she talked about uh, why she believes that, uh, that folks are weighing in uh, against the pension plan that she's proposing. Do you think part of his reason for intervening isn't just about pensions, but might also be about that ongoing um, debate going on between the Alberta government and uh, Ottawa. 
Well, I think it's because they lost a Supreme Court ruling on Friday. Uh, the Supreme Court said that they've been acting illegally. They've been acting outside their constitutional jurisdiction. And they're trying to act as if that ruling didn't come down. But I can tell you, it did. I've read the Constitution. I know what it says. I think that they should read the ruling and read the Constitution and stay in their lane. And so I think that this is probably a reaction to having lost so badly and knowing that we are going to defend our constitutional rights every chance we can and that the Supreme Court is going to back us. So this is a, I think his letter was um, inappropriate in tone. It was overwrought. Uh, the, the calculation in the report suggests that, yeah, there'll be some impact to the rest of Canada if uh, Alberta goes, chooses to go its own way with the assets that we believe we're entitled to. But it's a matter of $175 per person, which, um, you know, and it, it has, would have the same level of support um, and uh, solvency as it did back in 2013. So I, I think he's, he's trying to, to overstate it to make some kind of political point. And quite frankly, I just don't think that that's helpful. I think we should allow for the process to play out, let Albertans decide, because we do have a constitutional right to, to um, manage our, our pensions under Section 94 of the Constitution, if uh, the Prime Minister would like to look that up. And we also have a formula in the CPP Act that uh, we've interpreted if he has an alternative. You know, we welcome all uh, all, all input into our process. If they want to do the work of giving us an alternative based on the reading of that act, we, we welcome the information. I mean, except they don't. <laughs> that's, that's already abundantly clear. They don't accept the different views. But it's absolutely wild that Daniel Smith's response to, hey, so you're threatening to mess with the, the Federation. You're, you're threatening to mess with the whole country. Um, why do you think that the leader of the whole country had some concerns with that? And her reaction is, oh, it's not because I'm threatening to mess with the whole country. And, you know, if there's some, some Canadians out there who have to pay some more money, I guess screw them, because uh, I want what's ours. It's The whole reason why he's weighing in on this is because he's, he's sad about the um, Infrastructure Assessment Act. That's a that's a pretty she's swinging for the fences with that one. Um, but it's it's pretty far from a reasonable or accurate assessment. Uh, I can tell you that I don't think that what she's saying there has anything to do with the actual situation. I can tell you that uh, it almost seems like Daniel Smith has these specific talking points that she goes to over and over and over again. And as much as she says that she wants to work collaboratively within Federation and within the, the country of Canada, she doesn't, she doesn't really, really want to. She doesn't seem to believe in the idea of a, of a society or a Federation where sometimes you got to give a little bit more than you get because in other areas you get more. It's worth noting, we got a lot of support from the feds and the rest of the country over the last couple of years. Between COVID, between the multiple natural disasters, we've gotten a lot of support from the rest of the country. It's also worth noting that a lot of the people that uh, have come to work in the province of Alberta to ensure that our uh, oil and gas industry has been able to grow in the way that it has have come from other parts of Canada. You can't just look at one 
area, one specific thing in society and say, that's it. That's the whole ball game. That's going to determine how much we're going to agree to engage with this greater ideal of a nation. Because of course there's going to be areas of inequity. Of course there will be. But the constant victimhood that we see from Danielle Smith, where she's willing to talk about the fact, oh, you know, Albertans, we we pay more uh, on average into the pension than the rest of Canada. That's not fair. If you say it like that, sure. But if you say it like because we make more historically per capita than the rest of the country, if everybody's paying a flat 5% of their income to the CPP and somebody makes $50,000 a year and somebody makes $500,000 a year. Yeah. Somebody's going to end up paying a little bit more, but you know what? They're also going to get more at the end of the day. So what are we complaining about here? The opportunity to invest more, the opportunity to have more of a pension down the road. Boy, that seems really unfair. Somebody should, somebody should complain about that, I guess. But to continue talking about things Danielle Smith said this week, we got to talk about our, uh, one of our favorite topics to talk about. And we actually rebroadcast this week, uh, last night. Actually, we, we rebroadcast our 30-minute special on the, the media organization in question. So if you really want to know all of the, the nuts and bolts of why True North is uh, sketchy, some people might say, why, why they seem to be uh, abusing tax loopholes, some people might say. I'm sure I read some tweets to that effect earlier today. Some posts, X's, it's not a good name for him yet. I'm going to keep calling him tweets. I'll call it X as a platform, but I'm going to keep calling him tweets. Um, because there's some things with True North that are pretty sketchy. There's no question that the content they produced is heavily, heavily biased. It's heavily, heavily editorial. And that's fine because that's what we do. We just use more jokes and occasionally puppets. But we don't present ourselves as being journalists. If you go to any of our bios, you'll see it says very clearly, not journalists. The problem with True North is that they present themselves as journalists, but they don't seem to subscribe to any of the standards that you would expect from regular journalists. They're also a registered charity, and they do a lot of fundraising. And they had a big fundraiser this weekend in Calgary where they did the True North Nation and uh, a small group of what appeared to be from the pictures, very, very, very old uh, white people attended this this conference. Um, but they sold tickets. You could get VIP packages. You could pay a premium, almost as if you were buying children's Tylenol for a premium. Um, and you could get extra access and and talk to some of the the extra people you could get front row seats for some of the the big speakers hey who were those big big speakers again oh that's right the headline speaker was none other than danielle smith because of course the premier of alberta who can't pass up a microphone decided that she was going to spend her saturday hanging out with her former campaign bestie 
The owner of True North, Candace Malcolm, the founder and editor-in-chief in True North, worked with Danielle Smith in the ill-fated Danielle Smith's last race. But Daniel Smith was the confirmed top-level speaker. They had a bunch of other people. Brett Wilson, in a very loud shirt, presumably, were, were there as well. The sponsors. You had the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. You have the Modern Miracle Network. Um, and then, oh, look, who's in the bottom right-hand corner? Why, it's none other than Take Back Alberta. And Daniel Smith spoke to um, the one of the hosts of the, the True North universe uh and she had some thoughts that she wanted to to share about um media and and unions and stuff we're gonna watch the media clip first because daniel smith wanted to make it very clear that uh you know what the problem with the the mainstream media the legacy media that she spent years working for before they fired her or she left depending on who you ask because she said demonstrably false things about ivermectin during a global pandemic. Um, she had some thoughts about mainstream media. I'll tell you that the problem that the, the media has is they don't understand conversation and they don't understand the exchange of ideas. They get locked into a narrative and then for some reason they believe that they are the ones who it's their job to control the narrative and to discredit any alternative voices. And that's not how democracy is supposed to work. And so what has been delightful to watch with the alternative media that has developed is that uh, you guys play by a different set of rules. You, you believe that you have to get fair, accurate, balanced reporting out there, that you have to listen to all sides. And so I've been grateful that, that, you, put, uh, that you put that out there. Fair and balanced reporting. Gosh, it's almost like Daniel Smith is is literally quoting Fox News because she literally is. That's the Fox News slogan. So mainstream media doesn't do fair and balanced, but that's the Fox News mainstream Fox News slogan. Okay, I think I'm losing the, the thread here. But there's one thing in particular that she said that I want to take a quick sec to highlight. And that was the idea that it's not a journalist's job to discredit alternative voices. Let's be clear. There's a big difference between punditry and the practice of journalism. When you're punditrying, if you're just doing a silly little podcast on a Sunday night, for example, you can pick and choose who you're going to uh, platform. You can, you can pick and choose who you're going to have conversations with because you're not presenting yourself as a journalist. But if you're presenting yourself as a journalist, then it is your responsibility to be as accurate and truthful and factual as possible. That's literally the job of a journalist. So for Danielle Smith to say, you know, those journalists, they keep discrediting these alternative voices. Yeah, because if the alternative voices are wrong or lying and demonstrably so, that's what journalists are supposed to do. That's literally their job. I'm going to say it again. The foundation of any healthy democracy is a well-informed electorate. And if you don't have a well-informed electorate because you have people who are amplifying and allowing bullshit perspectives 
demonstrably false alternative voices to gain footholds in the interest of, I don't know, everybody gets to have their opinion broadcast as loudly as they want to on all of the things. That's not freedom of expression and it's not freedom of speech. It's irresponsible. Period. So it's pretty amazing that Daniel Smith is saying, hey, you know what? Uh, all those other journalists out there, they fact check and discredit people who should be discredited and you guys don't do that. Yay! But of course, that wasn't the only big clip that made it out of the, the weekend. Look at the... Uh... The NDP, the unions and the media were all so dogpiled on us during the election. And every person I know said that they were seeing multitude of negative ads. You'd go onto YouTube and you would see dozens and dozens of ads. So we know what our spending limit is. I think they overspend by seven, by seven fold or more. And so that is not the way our legislation works, but I don't know if we'll see Elections Alberta do any investigation into it. But that's what happens is you're supposed to have a division between the party and the, and the PACs that are supporting them. I don't think that there was any of that. I think that you saw a lot of integration between the two. So we do have to be mindful that there is um, a, a very strong connection and they're going to use it to, to their advantage during an election campaign. Daniel Smith speaking as the keynote speaker at an event for niche media that up until their uh, their Alberta correspondent took a took a break, had all kinds of exclusive access. The, the news organization that is a immigration charity. That's true. You can look that up. True North is registered as an immigration research charity. That's why they're able to give tax receipts for all of their ticket sales and all of their donations because they bought themselves a charity. They took over the board of a charity. This is all documented. This organization that exists almost solely to amplify and prop up and advertise as a charity, political views that are in line with Danielle Smith. Why do you think Danielle Smith is speaking at this thing? Because she knows where bread is buttered. It's ludicrous. But here she is saying there should be a division between political interests and PACs. Uh, but boy, you true North guys sure are great. Love you tons. It's absolutely... I, I don't... I don't know how somebody is able to say those things in those circumstances and not experience a whit of cognitive dissonance. It's really quite remarkable. But she goes at a step forward and she says that the NDP and the unions and the media dogpiled to imply coordination. She says that the, the number of ads had to be at least sevenfold what the allowable finance limits are. And I don't know if Elections Alberta is going to investigate, but that seems, that seems kind of sketchy. That seems kind of wrong. That's a claim that uh, Gil McGowan with the Alberta Federation of Labor has always said they're going to be looking into what their legal options are for that claim that Gil McGowan says is demonstrably false. 
But Daniel Smith was speaking with an audience that she's comfortable with. She's, she, she loves the True North folks. And like I said, when you take a look at who runs True North, when you take a look at the core people behind True North, like Candace Malcolm and the executive director that's listed with True North, these are both people that worked with her in the Wild Rose days. They go way back. And it's not as if Daniel Smith also is, I don't know, besties with, with some of the people who, uh, who, who are involved with, with True North and, and other activities. It's not like... Um, well, let's think about this for a second. Danielle Smith attended, and this is documented, reported widely. She attended the, uh, the wedding of David Parker of Take Back Alberta, who, wait, is one of the sponsors of this event. Well, that's, that's probably just a, a wild coincidence. It's not like that Alberta correspondent that, uh, that got all of those inside scoops with, uh, with Danielle Smith during, during, during the, the the election and the leadership race, it's not like there's any any sort of bizarre uh, connection there. Because boy, if 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 the Venn diagram of True North and Take Back Alberta and Danielle Smith was was grossly overlapped, oh oh, I see. Here's a here's a tweet from David Parker. What does what does this say here? Oh, proud of my wife and her team at True North Center. I can't believe she married a schlub like me. And there's Rachel Emanuel. Who is the Alberta correspondent for True North who did get all of the exclusive interviews with Danielle Smith? But again, let's just go back once more for for why Danielle Smith believes that they're how media should work. I'll tell you that the problem that the, the media has is they don't understand conversation and they don't understand the exchange of ideas. They get locked into a narrative and then for some reason they believe that they are the ones who it's their job to control the narrative and to discredit any alternative voices. And that's not how democracy is supposed to work. And so what has been delightful to watch with the alternative media that has developed is that uh, you guys play by a different set of rules. You, you believe that you have to get fair, accurate, balanced reporting out there, that you have to listen to all sides. And so I've been grateful that, that, you, put, uh, that you put that out there. Oh, I bet Danny has been grateful. I bet she's been super grateful. I bet she's over the moon that Candace Malcolm, after her time with Ezra Levant and the Sun News Network, I bet she's over the moon that Candace Malcolm decided to build a media machine that gives Danny a platform and that she can give exclusive access to and that she can have interviews with. It's worth noting that it's also been very well established through Take Back Alberta's Telegram group that David Parker has coordinated with True North. I wonder how that could have possibly happened. What sort of what sort of ins David Parker might have with with True North that they're communicating their messaging and coordinating their messaging with Take Back Alberta and True North. I, I wonder what the connection could possibly be. It's just a mystery. Perhaps if I dwell on it long enough, the answer will will come to me. But it's worth noting, Daniel Smith, as we talked about on our last episode, Daniel Smith uh, has been asked multiple times, hey, David Parker, he said some things. Uh, he said some some pretty pretty aggressive, hateful things. He's threatened the board of Alberta Health Services uh, in a now deleted tweet. Um, are you going to do anything? And on Saturday last week, 
Daniel Smith said, "Hey, you know what? I'm not uh, talk to talk to David Parker about that. It's not like he's you know he's not like he's saying really really bad things. Like it's not like he's saying that uh, progressives should get boosters because in a now discredited uh, Apoch Times um, article from a year and a half ago, they claimed that the boosters caused cancer." It's not like David Parker was explicitly saying, progressives, please keep taking your boosters. The science is settled, quoting an article that claims that boosters cause cancer. It's, oh, yeah, no, that's exactly, that's exactly what he did. He makes it very, very clear. He still wants to go after school board trustees. And then in a new low for David Parker, he tweeted this out on the 20th. This was on Friday. I am told that once again, so whatever David Parker's been told, the thing that he's being told, this isn't the first time this thing has happened. It's happened before. I am told once again, at Rachel Notley is in rehab trying to recover from her crippling alcoholism. As somebody who is two years alcohol-free, I know the torment of addiction. Despite my disdain for her politics, I hope she gets the help she needs. Now, let's be super clear what's going on in this tweet here, okay? This is not David Parker saying, oh, gosh, I really, really, uh, I feel for uh, Rachel Notley and I believe in the, the tenets of, of AA. Because what does the last A stand for? Oh, right. Anonymous. Because protection of privacy is a critically important thing. But here, David Parker, while trying to wrap things up in the what is very clearly a, a bullshit disguise of concern, is trying to say Rachel Notley has been sequestered away in uh, rehab. Now, we're not going to weigh into whether or not there's any truth to those claims, because it's not our place nor anybody else's to speculate on. It's just not. It's wrong. And to effectively out someone who is very clearly, I mean, it, it, let's go with the hypothetical scenario that Rachel Notley wasn't, I don't know, um, at a major NDP event this weekend. Oh, oh look. Oops. Okay. Well, let's pretend that she wasn't at this, this major NDP event over the weekend. Even if we say that, Rachel Notley has not at any point said, I've, I'm an alcoholic. I'm struggling with it. That's not public information. So even if it was true, and we're not saying that it is, 100% we're not saying that it is, and we're not going to speculate on whether or not it is, because that's private and one would think that somebody who, as David Parker claims to have known the torment of addiction, he would also know that you absolutely do not, even if it's true, out someone like that. It's not okay. But here he is doing exactly that nonetheless and wrapping it up in false concern. Now, that's one possibility. It's one possibility is what David Parker said is true. The other possibility is David Parker's lying. I mean, you can place your own odds on that one. I'm not going to speculate, but uh, 
let's say that David Parker's lying. It would be fascinating to see some legal consequences show up at Mr. Parker's doorstep for, for this particular tweet. But either way, if Mr. Parker is accomplishing anything, it is lowering the level of discourse in the province of Alberta and in politics in Alberta. And for somebody who claims to be in a leadership position with Take Back Alberta and somebody who has the very close ties to not only media organizations that he clearly has in the past said he coordinates with, but also the current premier of Alberta who still refuses to disavow him, who still refuses to disavow his comments. It's very easy and reasonable to say, you know what? I love David. I love him. He's such a great guy. He's, he's got this fondue that he does. Oh, it's just delightful. But you know what? Some of the things he's been saying lately, I got to be honest with you, I can't back him. I'm disappointed to see that, that he's saying these things. It doesn't mean that I don't, I don't love him any less. And I'm not going to ask for the wedding present back because, you know, I, I, those M&M gift baskets, they, they're only good for so long. Um, but... I just don't approve of the, of, of the way that he's conducting the conversation right now. And I, I've told him as much. How he chooses to conduct himself, that's entirely up to him. That's a very easy answer to give, but it's one that Smith has consistently refused to give, which only furthers the speculation on many sides. The reason for that is David Parker's made it very clear that he wants control of the UCP board. There's a UCP AGM coming up in just a couple of weeks here. And if he gets full control of that UCP board with Take Back Alberta candidates, bearing in mind he already has half, then he's publicly said that will give the board the ability to decide how they're going to get rid of people. And he's publicly said the way that he would get around doing a whole leadership uh, review is to just use the board with the supermajority, which he's probably going to get, to just revoke the membership of anyone they don't like. That's the gun that he's publicly, metaphorically, put to the head of the premier and cabinet and caucus. It's disappointing although not at all surprising that Danielle Smith's convictions appear to be so weak that she would rather preserve her leadership, even though everything she's done has been dictated to her, it seems like, by Rob Anderson and his Free Alberta strategy and David Parker, she would rather be, it seems, a hollow premier, a, a puppet, if you will, foreshadowing, to two men that just want to control her. That's what she's choosing. She could very easily do exactly what I just said there a couple of minutes ago and disavow, at the very least, David Parker's comments. But rather than doing that and acknowledging the fact that she has these close ties to True North and Rachel Emanuel, hyphen Parker, I don't know, um, and David Parker, rather than acknowledging that, she's choosing to go the disingenuous route of being like, oh, I'm so busy, you know, I have time to go and uh, talk about the problems with media with the, the folks at True North, but I just, I can't be bothered to read those tweets. 
It's ridiculous. And it's beneath the office of the premier, quite frankly. And that's it for our uh, planned, double check the notes that I've been given here. Yep, that's it for our planned content. Um, so at this point in the evening, we're gonna open it up to the the, the good folks on the X spaces. Um, if anybody's listening, if you got something to say, if you disagree with anything that uh, that we've said here tonight, this is where you get to push the little microphone thing around the X spaces and way right in. And it looks like we've got uh, one person already in the queue that I was hoping was gonna was gonna be here tonight. And so it's gonna be very interesting to hear what she has to say. Um, Cassandra, Nate, what's going on? <laughs> Well, I have a few comments about the Danielle Smith thing and David Parker's comments to start. Um, like her whole spiel about, I don't know, accountability and and playing from not playing from all sides by the. I, I think she was actually talking about herself, um, not the me media, but mainstream media, but. Anyway, that's everything she said to me. It's like, oh, you're talking about yourself. Okay. And, you know, and I'm not going to put this. I know there's things that you won't say and you can't say. And I'm just going to take the opportunity to maybe point some of them out because I can do that. Um, you know, I, you know, I used to do work on the downtown east side. And I also have some alcoholics in my family. And there's something that happens um, to alcoholic, a change in their facial features, usually from liver damage, which is they start to get really puffy in the face and they're, they get this red bulbous thing on the end of their nose and it's, and it's very red. And one of the things that I noticed about our lovely Premier after she had been out of the scene and coming back was... The Sandra. very first thing I thought when I saw her face I gotta, after not seeing her for years. See, I got to stop you there because here's the thing. I understand yeah. where you're going and I'm That's not going to say the same thoughts That's, have not occasionally crossed my mind, but I just did like have, five minutes she, on yeah. it's not okay to out people. So I'm just saying it could, she could have, she could have a lot of other things. If you let me finish, I was going to say okay. she could have a okay. lot of other things. She could have a lot of other things that could cause the same thing. There's no doubt. There's other medical conditions that can do the same thing. Sometimes if I sleep on my pillow wrong, I get puffy. Yeah, well, you know what I mean? Like, there, there, there's tons of things. I'm just saying, like, if we're going to out people, maybe we should, you know, look in our own neighborhood. <laughs> I don't think it's it's ever, ever right to yeah. out anyone. Anyway, I don't know that that's what she, I, I, I have no knowledge of what her habits are. I mean, and, I hear ivermectin is a hell of a drug, but... <laughs> yeah, I, I have no knowledge of what her habits are. I've never met the woman. I, I don't know. It was it, it was an observation, and it's not necessary. It, it was just one of the things that crossed my mind. Um, but but I, that's why I... That's the only reason. It drives me nuts, Parker. Anyway, um, and I apologize, but that was my thought process. I, I get the temptation. And I mean, I can tell here's, here's, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of context and I'll let you say all the other things. Cause you, you got okay. a lot of things that I know I want to hear tonight, but you know, there are one of the things that's happened in the course of doing this show over four yeah. and a half years is the amount of 
uh, personal dirt that we have been handed on all kinds of different people in Alberta politics uh, is you, you, you could you could probably fill a uh, I don't know like an oil sands pond or something. There's just that much right, out right, there. right. But, and I know that you personally, I know you don't out people, and I get it. And I'm not outing anybody because, like I said. I was just making an observation and, and I actually don't have any knowledge of her habits or anything about her and nobody's given me any information. It was just more of a a personal observation and a question that I might have had. That's, you know, you should ask her. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, you know, anyway. But... I, that was all I really had to say because I didn't catch your whole show because I've been, I've had my daughter in town. Um, my daughter's been helping me clean and pack. Um, we were out for dinner and I was rushing back because I wanted to get back for the end of the show so I could check in. Um, I checked in on, on YouTube and everybody was so lovely and like, it's such a great community on there. I just, it, it really is. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and so I wanted to, I was glad I made it back in time to just give you a, a check-in. So as it stands, you know, I'm pretty much packed. I got a storage unit. We took some stuff to donations. Um, you know, I'm kind of moving along. Um, my landlord is very happy right now. He was very unhappy. And when he's seen us go to town once my daughter get here, because of course she can do things that I can't do anymore. <laughs> um, he was very happy to see things moving along. And, you know, I did have a conversation saying, look, she, you know, my daughter's leaving tomorrow and I, you know, I'm still going to need some time. And, you know, he, he's said, you know, he's given me uh, look, if it gets past this certain time, I'm going to be aggravated again, but I see things are moving along. And so I understand and just keep things moving. And so um, that's where I'm at there. I have had, you know, I think the biggest struggle like is, is uh, I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to put my head with the cat. Mm -hmm. I've had some offers. They're not ideal. Um, you know what I mean? Like they're, they would be okay if I had nothing else. Like, like I, I mean, I don't want to say it's just that, you know, one's in a tiny little room sharing with my friend where she's going to sleep on the floor and I'm going to sleep on her bed. And then there's another cat that my cat might try to hurt. Um, and then, you know, a friend's husband who is, has some addiction issues of his own. And I don't think that that's a healthy place for me to be. And a lady that I don't really know, and I would like to, but she wasn't too keen on the cat, but it's still a place to think of. So that's kind of where I'm at. So, but I've got a couple weeks to maybe try to sort it out. That's awesome. Dude. You know? Yeah, that's, that's kind of where I, where I'm at. Like, I'm still trying to find a place to live, but at least, um, you know, I've got the packing and cleaning to a point where, I can manage, I can manage it again. And, and, but the biggest thing is just trying to, I, I, I really do need a permanent place. There's some, like I said, there's some temporary options, but yeah. Well, I'm glad. I mean, the big thing for me is, is I'll be honest with you. One of the things that I was thinking about as we were putting the show together today was like, oh man, this weather notifications, like I, I, I don't want to hear Cassandra come on and be like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm calling from a street corner. 
um, or, or, or something like that. So I'm glad that you've got some, some options there to make sure that you, you, you don't end up in the cold. That's, that's a good relief. Well, it is, it is. It's not, not like, as I said, there's nothing like I've got some time to figure things out from here. So I don't have to be out in, in the cold, which was my, and I still, you know, I, I was at a point when my daughter arrived where my anxiety level was so high and, and there's a real fear, even with the options that were put in front of me, the fear was still very real because, um, you know, like, cause they would have to be so temporary and then what would I do? Um, and so, so it's, you know, it, it it's really not going to be real comfortable till I know I have a permanent place, but at least sure. there's options. There we go. Well, I'm glad that there's a, there's a little bit of, of, of positive news and you got a little bit of breathing room at the very least. Yeah, no, I do have a little bit more breathing room than I thought I w- was going to have. And, and my daughter has been absolutely, I love her so much. She is amazing. She flew out here and we like, she, she's just been, I, I, I don't even know how to, I, I just can't say enough. And it's not just because she's my daughter. It's because everything she's done to get me to this point in the last past couple of days. And, um, so yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, and I wish I wish, wish I could have caught the whole show. I only caught the only other thing I wanted to comment on is, is that Brett Wilson guy, my God, that guy drives me nuts. <laughs> like, He's got- honestly, my mom, well, my mom and I used to be like really big fans of him, like way back. And my mom's even met him. Like she used to go to these friends and CBC events and dances and stuff. And, and she's met him and danced with him and 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 thought he was a, a lovely person and when i told her some of the stuff that he says like in the last few years on on twitter or x or whatever um like she was like really like she was so shocked she was like wow like that's really really bad like <laughs> like he's really a horrible human being like he's got some views <laughs> on on social media that are that are pretty wild i have never met him i would dance with him though yeah, well, my my mom has. I got pictures of my elderly mom. She's also got pictures. She also has multiple pictures with George Strombolopoulos, um, where like it started where he gave her a kiss on one cheek the first time she met him, and she got a picture, and then she met meets him again. So he's like, "Well, we got to do the other cheek this time." So he, you know, and then there's a picture of her dancing with him, and yeah, like so she's uh, she's she's a big you know CB friends of CBC supporter and goes to all the used to go to all these events she's not able to anymore but yeah so she's she's you know met a lot of pretty interesting people so yeah well thanks for the good news cassandra and uh uh i hope the the rest of the week goes smooth and that's all that i've got okay all right well i'm gonna we got it we got we got a new first time caller this this is uh uh, this is kind of interesting. I'm going to bring in uh, Christian Nielsen, whose Twitter bio reads labor advocate and activist, former MLA for Edmonton Decor. Mr. Nielsen, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well, Nate. How about yourself? I'm having all kinds of fun tonight. <laughs> Definitely an interesting show. Uh, the amount of comments I could be making uh but i swear we'd probably spend an entire show just on that alone 
I mean, that sounds like a an idea for for a show. But you know, I'll, I'll DM you later. What do you got to say tonight? Well, uh, you know how to get a hold of me, so we can always arrange that. But Perfect. you know, I was uh, listening to one of those clips there with with our premiere, and uh, I, I know one of the things that used to just stick in my side throughout the entire two terms uh, that I served, and it was this uh, vision, this this thought, this perception that the UCB had around unions and, and how big and, and powerful they were. Yet, you know, when you look at the statistics, Alberta right now is hovering somewhere, you know, in the neighborhood, 21 to, to 25% unionization. I think got up to 25 in, in, in 2019. Um, you know, this is what they consider big and powerful and, and all these pockets that uh, they seem to think they have and it's just utter nonsense i spent years in the labor movement uh and and trust me the, the money's not there they they scrape to to make it happen i uh anecdotally i will say that definitely fits with what i've experienced of of I mean, full disclosure, I, I work professionally for a, a profession that has a, a union. I've said many times on the show, I'm a member of the HSAA. Um, and, um, you know, there, there's some resources there for sure. But the, the notion that unions have like these stacks of cash that they're just waiting to, to throw around, I think is a little bit um, detached is the word I would use. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a that's a good one. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm former UFCW local 401 myself, the largest private sector union in the province, and uh, yeah, the, I mean, we're able to uh, look after our members, we're able to advocate for our members, we're able to fight for our members, especially on a strike line. But these, you know, multi millions of dollars, it, it's, it's a fantasy, just like the government thought that all these uh, environmental activists were spending, you know, billions of dollars uh, to, uh, to interfere with Alberta. And of course, we found out how that worked out. Well, I mean, like the, the question to me is like if Daniel Smith, because the claim that she makes in the clip that I think you're referring to, uh, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the, the claim that she makes is they spent, I think, I don't know where she pulls these numbers from, um, but seven times the the legal limit that is allowed. Um, and that's a lot of money. Like when you talk about how much money the UCP and the NDP spent on on the election, this is not small change. And to say that we're talking like seven times the amount, the notion that uh, a union has $30 million to, to throw around at an election, I mean, it's it's not like they're the Canadian Energy Center. No, and and I think Elections Alberta is a little bit smarter than that. I mean, they've busted candidates for uh, you know overspending by fifteen hundred dollars. I think they've noticed seven times the amount they're allowed to spend. I I I think you're exactly right. Well, I'll tell you what, Mister Nielsen, I would love to uh, have you on the show because I think that there is you know one of the things that I always like to sort of gut check on is have things really changed as much as I think they've changed? Cause like, it seems like we're seeing this, this erosion of all of these norms. And some of the things that I'm hearing about the next legislative session are, um, let's go with new. 
and so I would, I, I, if you're open to it, I would love to be able to, to send you a message and arrange for something like a week, week and a half after the legislation, legislative session is kicked off. Um, because you did spend two terms in office. And I think that, you know, I think it's important that we have those little, uh, conversations and gut checks where we go have things, have things changed? Is this still normal? Are we in a new normal? If you'd be open for that, I would, I, I can't tell you how much I'd appreciate it. I would be totally open with that. I, I think we'd uh, have a pretty fun conversation around that. Awesome. Well, I know what I'm doing as soon as I'm off the air tonight. <laughs> Alrighty. Sounds good, but I won't take up any more time. I'm sure others have comments too. So, Well, thank you so much for, for weighing in, sir. And uh, you'll be hearing from me soon. Sounds great. All right. We're going to bring in uh, I Am Frog, who uh, I think we had on last week. I want to say I could be wrong. Um, we'll find out in a second. I am Frog. What's going on tonight? You gotta gotta unmute, unmute yourself. Oh, sorry. That's sorry it. about that. Can you hear me now? I can hear. I do the same thing sometimes for the shows. So you know, <laughs> you're you're in good company, man. What's going on? My bad, my bad. I just want to say quick. I uh, listened to your episode with Trevor Toom, and I want to say really, really appreciate that episode. Uh, super enlightening, and I mean. What a guy to really break it down and lay out all the facts and all the reasons that we should be really scared about. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, though, is you got talking about LifeWorks, and I wanted to do some Googling. Um, LifeWorks is now owned by Telus, um, who I'm sure some people love and hate as their company. I'm not too fond of them personally. But uh, anyway, LifeWorks used to be Morneau Chappelle. Now, that got me thinking. Morneau Chappelle, Morneau sounds really familiar. So I did a bit more Googling. Morneau, Bill Morneau, yep. former liberal finance minister, Bill Morneau. So I don't know if it's just me, but the irony, irony for me is that the Alberta UCP, who claim to absolutely despise the liberal government and everything it stands for, and, and Trudeau and the East is trying to spite us, they're using a report made by a company owned by former finance minister Bill Morneau. And these would be the same employees brought over to TELUS that still would have run, or I guess as part of the merger. So it's safe to assume that Bill Morneau's former employees wrote this report that the Alberta government is basing for all of their decisions. Well, Smith has <laughs> been Smith has been upfront about that. And I think part of the reason why they, I mean, here's the thing. And, and I think it's important to take with your, I mean, you're, you're, you're hundred percent accurate, first of all. Um, but I think the thing that Smith has said, well, you know, we, uh, we, we got it, uh, we got, uh, we got it done by, you know, the former liberal finance minister. So, you know, there's no way that it could be partisan, but here's the thing. It's a private company. And what you order from that private company is going to dictate what you get. So if you go to a McDonald's and you ask for a cheeseburger, I mean, gross, but whatever. Um, if you go to McDonald's and you order a cheeseburger, you're going to get a cheeseburger. You're not going to get uh, a salad because you ordered a cheeseburger. And so if Daniel Smith and the UCP and, and Travis Taves and whoever, however many iterations of this report there were, if they went to, you know, uh, LifeWorks and said, hey, we'd like to uh, we'd like to get a report with the best possible outcome for an Alberta pension plan. Can you do that for us? They'll say, okay, what's the best possible outcome? And then they'll write that report because they weren't necessarily contracted to provide the most objective 
best and worst case scenarios, they were paid to write the best possible scenario. So I, I approach the, the, the authorship, let's say, of this report whose names the authors wouldn't even attach to it. I'm not saying that says something, but it says something. Um, I approach it with a healthy degree of what were your operating parameters that you were given here? Because you could mm -hmm. go to the 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 best uh, legal firm, accounting firm in the the world, and if you don't say, "I want, I want, give me a an accurate assessment. Give me, give me the good, the bad, and the ugly. Give it all." Uh, if you don't say that, and if you go in and you explicitly say, "I want the best case scenario," they're going to give you the best case scenario. And from everything that this report has produced, and especially, I mean, Trevor Toome, that was, I love talking with smart people. That's my favorite thing about this gig. Um, but, you know, when Trevor Toome takes a look at it and he comes up with numbers that are significant, like 60, 75% less than what this report produced, Trevor Toome is like unbelievably objective i mean he he's i'm sure he's got his own biases i'm sure he's got his favorite kind of pie but uh he is i mean like i said and and if you listen to the episode you know the whole thing with the hand on the desk when he was like yeah. oh no there's a better possibility of your hand phasing through the desk i was like holy <laughs> crap is this the conversation we're having i couldn't believe it but it speaks to i mean trevor Toon would not throw that sort of commentary out there without a very very good reason so i think that when I look at the the authorship of this report, and and I think they were trying to give themselves some political um, some political firewalling, some political shield by using uh, Morneau Chappelle originally, but again, the 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 final authorship of the report was not Morneau Chappelle; it was LifeWorks. LifeWorks. Yeah, it's so hard to remember yeah. which one it is. <laughs> yeah, it could be all three. No, that's a really good point. I just. Wanted to say it's super ironic. And uh, I just want to say one more thing. Yeah, for sure. So I was sick, sick yesterday and uh, I had some time and I went through all the UCP board members that were to be elected. Um, and this was pretty painful, I won't lie. But as far as I can tell, at least every single one besides a couple, one or two maybe, um, are all Take Back Alberta or PGIB um, affiliated or at least endorsed or let's say adjacent. Um, so I just would go far as say, in my opinion, that the UCP board at this point is completely gone. Um, it is, it is essentially inevitable in my opinion, from what I can see based on looking into all these people's profiles yesterday. I think so. you're right. Because I can tell you, I mean, we have, and this was kind of what I alluded to when, when, when I was chatting with Cassandra there, that we, we have a lot of conversations with a lot of people in the background on the show. And it is a lot of stuff that we just have said, yeah, we will never, ever, ever talk about those things. Um, because that is not the level of discourse that we want to, to, to bring. Um, but I can say that some of the conversations that we've had over with people over the last couple of weeks where people are straight up saying, I want, I'm, I'm out of the, like I heavy hitters in the UCP, people who were heavily involved, not just with the party, but with government, um, have said, Nope, this is not that anymore. I'm out. Um, yeah. that, that to me is, uh, some of the, and obviously I can't say any names. So, you know, take mm -hmm. it as I could just be making all this up. 
do what you will with it. I'm not, but do what you will with it. But there's a, there's a lot of people who are looking at what the UCP is turning into and the influence that's being exerted by Take Back Alberta and other uh, extreme right-wing groups and going, yeah, no, this is not you know, I, I thought when we merged the PCs in the Wild Rose that the PCs would have like some imprint on the culture of the whatever party morphed out of that. But what we've seen is like, um, nope. It's, it's, yeah. it's Wild Rose 2.0 and it's unchecked because the Daniel Smith is afraid of people. Well, and it makes sense because, I mean, it's not even like I have private information. I just spend a couple hours Googling and listening to some podcasts and coming up with these assessments on my own, right? Like, you know, it's not like I have background information at all. It's just, you know, based on taking the time and looking into some of these people and what they've said or what they've said publicly on podcasts, it's pretty safe to assume where this UCP board is going. And in my opinion, it's completely going to be affiliated at the very least. So, yeah. I, I think you're you're 100 on the mark, man. Anything else you wanted to throw out there tonight? No, that's it. Uh, great show. Have a good night. Okay, thanks, man. Uh, we're gonna bring in. We got Tammy left in the queue, and yeah. we're gonna bring in Tammy, and then I think that will open it up for the for the plugs. And I don't know. I, I'm I'm gonna lean heavy into the Tukes tonight because of the snow, and also the proceeds go to help Cassandra. But Tammy, what's going on tonight? Thank you. <laughs> Oh, well, you've put up so much stuff tonight that I could comment on. So number one, yay, Oregano got home. Right? So we'll start with the happy. Such a nice story. and like That's the... a very nice story. As a kitty lover, I love that, that Janice got her kitty cat back. Yo, I... that's awesome. If you've ever had a pet run out the door and like the oh, I know. the panic that goes with that, like I'm not a cat person because they got the claws and the things. Um but uh, that was that was just such a nice like and watching the number of, of pundits and commentators and, and journalists and, and some politicians being like, hey, guys, let's just find oregano. That was I, yep. that was it was it was nice. That was nice. That was that was really nice. So but <laughs> of course, with everything with Alberta, you know, you go from one happy to a whole lot of mm, so number one, Morneau Chappelle has been affiliated with TELUS for years. Just so you know, um, they way back when, and they were never about pensions back then. Um, they were, uh, when I was with TELUS, I used to work for TELUS, straight up, tell you that. Um, they were our basically what LifeWorks does. So they're not really a pension thing. They're more of a health suggestion thing. Like, if you need this, go to this people. If you need psych help, we have people we can refer you to stuff. And that's what they do to this day because the company I work for now basically... um, reaches out to LifeWorks, which is now TELUS, whatever it is. That's what they do for our company as well. Okay. So yeah, that, that's what they do. So them suddenly making um, suggestions about uh, what 
Al- the Alberta pension plan should look like. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, I'd much rather have an actual actuary, someone who actually works with that kind of stuff, make those suggestions, not LifeWorks slash TELUS, whatever they call it. Um, so there's that. Uh, the other thing that happened this time on on Twitter, which was kind of fun and interesting, was um, myself, uh, of course, I can never think of his name, BK, DK, the fellow that, that uh, did all the information on what they did with uh, the power in Alberta. Oh, David Gray. Yes, thank you. Um, we kind of, I don't know, double teamed some dude that was jumping on, on David about stuff about the, the power. And I said, well, yeah. And, and like, he can tell you all the financial side. Now I, I have a history of working for big companies. So one of the big companies I used to work for is Transalta specifically out at the power plants in Wobman, right around the time that they were starting to look at, are they going to keep doing the coal side of things? And in fact, I ran a lot of the numbers for basically, could the power plants, you know, do the, the run up and, and the, the shutdowns, in the right order shutdowns are not so much worried about, but the run-ups because of the poor coal quality, what would happen is they'd start running it up and they literally couldn't reach the, the power generation they needed to, to get to the next level because it goes up in a, in a kind of a, they get so much, they get so much. So part of the reason that would happen was because in Wobbeman, way back when, like, my family has a history of working for the big power companies out in that area. My dad worked for Combustion Engineering, which was the precursor of the company that was actually running the, the plants before Transalta took them over. And I will give Transalta this. They did a really great job. The plants, when combustion engineering were running them, they were a mess. They were full of toxic stuff, and it was just bad. And when Transalta came out and and took it over, they cleaned that all up, at least around the plant. I understand that there's still issues with the water in Wadman because of the the power plants. Um, But... One of the things that this person that we were kind of talking to, and again, very right-wing person, very pro-industry, you know, it's all not Lee's fault, not Lee, but it's not. Because I was able to tell them, um, no, actually, well before Notley got her thing to, to get it moved out, um, if she hadn't done that, all that happened with that was it gave them a reason to go a little faster because they were already looking at doing that. 
because they were already losing money on the proposition of running those big plants. Because those big plants were built in a time when it didn't matter. The Alberta government paid for every cent of power that those plants created. But with all of the changes and the way those plants were built, they were literally making power that no one was paying for at times. And the problem with that is because the, the coal in the area is now no longer what it was when my dad was operating it, was working at those plants. So the coal used to be really good. They used to leave a pile of coal at the gate so that local folk could come and take the coal home and burn it in their coal-burning stoves. The coal that that's, was being pulled out of the ground there in the days where they decided that they were going to shut it down, they literally had to run gas, like um, natural gas as well, to make it burn. And because the coal was such poor quality, it was tossing out extra stuff out of the smoke that would literally make it that at times Transalta was having to stop burning coal and run pure gas anyway. Otherwise, they would take hits from the government. They'd end up having to pay fines. Now, people go, oh, well, Trudeau government, blah, 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 blah. No, <laughs> those fines had been in place for literally years. Like back when Mulroney and, and the conservatives were in charge, you know. Well, the idea were, of, of fines for environmental um, irresponsibility is is not new. What's newer in the province of Alberta is, it seems like, based on some of the commentary that I'm hearing about the AER, is um, maybe we don't do fines or consequences for people who um, uh, do bad things to the environment. To the environment. Yes. The only thing was, was that those fines that they were, they were paying, totally federal, not, not, they weren't Albertan. They were federal fines. It was literally the federal government that went after them for those air quality fines. At least the ones that I saw because I was actually running numbers for it. So I had to do reports based on, you know, what was, I can't remember the term what of it was, but how much of that, that stuff that wasn't supposed to get in the air how much we estimated it was. And there were all these reports that I had to run and I had to run, create big things for, for their guys to look at and for the executives to look at and, and all that kind of stuff. But so it was really interesting to, to basically step by step, take this guy's, and I know I'm kind of evil. I, I, I really enjoyed taking these guys talking points and between David and me and one other fellow who pointed out that uh, basically that they, 
they got paid, that, that Notley's government paid them to shut it down, which was part of the reason why they did it. I mean, they were going to do it anyway because they were losing money on it. Yeah. But when Notley offered, well, we'll pay you to do that, they went, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll do that. We'll go with that. Sure, let's let's do it now. Um, so it, it was kind of fun. I know that's sort of evil. It was kind of fun to take that down this guy's narrative piece by piece by piece. I don't think that's I don't think that's evil. I think that's how you have to do it. Like the reality is, is when you're having. I mean, arguing on the internet is always a challenge on the best of days. Um, but the I think the reality is, is that. <laughs> If you if you can't appeal to someone's, um, you doing okay there? Yeah, I'm okay. I just took a drink of water and it went down the wrong. Way. I hate when that happens. So, um, yeah, I think that one of the things that you have to be willing to do is be able to say, "Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay out the actual facts for you." And it's fascinating to me. I think that the the important thing is like. I, I get into conversations like that with, with people every once in a while. Um, and, you know, when they go quiet after you've, you've kind of presented them with the facts to say, here's, here's, Hey, go, here's the source, go look, here's the information from the source. You can, you can backtrack and look at the source if you want, but you can see this is the thing. Um, I think the, the, the important part is not to be like, uh, the the victory dance, um, no. But I, I I I enjoy. This will probably come as a huge shock, I imagine. But I enjoy laying out <laughs> the the best available information and saying, and this is why this is good, and that is why that is 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 not good. Um, yeah. I I I might do that at least once a week publicly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm I don't always do it publicly. Uh, I also do it. With, uh, well, with the entire coal thing, the, the mining by the Aussies, I sort of laid a whole bunch of truth on them. Um, and I got in on actually on that, um, that thing, the statement of yeah, objection, I, I think. Yeah, statement of concern. Yeah, the statement of concern. And I basically laid on them every veterinary, met, I'm, I was a farmer. So one of the things as a farmer you do, if you're a good farmer, is you figure out, um, number one, things that are going to hurt your, your livestock, things that you can avoid hurting your livestock with. And, uh, and a lot of the things that the coal mining will do, one of the biggest ones for farmers, aside from all the other crud that coal mining does is it it brings selenium up yeah now in small amounts selenium is something you need but you only need a very small amount right our land was selenium depleted therefore when our cows had calves my mom and i would have to go out and catch the calf and we literally give them a tiny little needle with some selenium in it give them that shot we never had to do it again. It was like a one-time, lifetime thing. Never had to do it again. So you're going to do coal mining that basically is a ton of selenium in, on the land, in the water, everywhere. Um, and the really bad thing about it is some of the, the 
the plants that we grow are what are called selenium accumulators. Yeah, you talked about this last week. Yeah. So selenium accumulators like wheat. It's it's like so I laid all of that stuff on them. I don't know if it's gonna make a difference on their decision. Um, I did love the fact that I got a follow-up letter that basically said that, well, that basically the the company, the coal p- company went, um, we've had so many objections that we have to, uh, re- to reach out to about, uh, um, we need extra time. See, to me, so, I, I read that, and you know what went through my head? You know what? If we're going to pause renewables because there's too many applications and there's too much paperwork and there's too much of a response and the regulator can't handle it, I feel like maybe if there's too many concerns from the from the, the people of Alberta that the, the coal company can't handle the responses, maybe it's time for a moratorium there too. I agree. I think they should just be told to get lost because – if you look at this company and what they've done in Australia, it's flipping scary. This company is not uh, environmentally responsible. They've done damage everywhere that they've they've done this mining, and they don't care. The woman that runs this company is a bi. <laughs> of the first order like doesn't care about anything or anybody except herself and money there are too many people like that in the world unfortunately but i agree with you 100 percent. i think that you know there's certain areas that should um just be left alone. I'm not against responsible resource development. My concern is that, and you know, this is something that uh, the Martin Olshinsky has has referenced as well, is that when you have regulatory capture, where the the bodies that are supposed to make sure that that resource development happens in a responsible way uh, get taken over or over influenced by the industry that they're supposed to be regulating, then all of a sudden everything breaks. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that we have a lot of that going on in the province of Alberta right now. That's just my personal opinion. Um, but I, think, I agree. Yeah, I think we could do a whole lot better. Anything else you want to share tonight there, Tammy? Um, not really, except the one thing that I am worried about with that entire coal thing is I'm worried that they're trying to time this in a situation where if we have a federal elect, if they get this stuff kind of, slow rolling or, or whatever and they get a federal election and heaven forfend PP gets elected prime minister then we're hooped because he will okay it his kids people will let it go and then we're in trouble then we're in serious trouble I sure so. yeah I, I I hope that the federal government runs out the clock for as long as possible on this one, not because I'm a fan of the the federal government, but because the alternative options at this point in time are not particularly. Uh, Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. It's like, it's that old saying of the choice of evils. You may not like the guy that's in right now, but he's a heck of a lot better than everybody else who's stepping up to the plate. So I, you take the guy that's there. I mean, who would have thought that there would be a stunning number of Albertans going, looking at Danielle Smith and going, oh, remember when it was just Kenny? Yeah. 
I know. I agree. Yeah, compared to her, Kenny is looking pretty pretty sweet right now. But I mean, the fascinating uh, thing, I'll say this and then I'll let you go. The fascinating thing to me, the, the biggest difference to me between uh, Kenny and Smith is Kenny had his agenda and he had his things that he wanted to get done because he believed in them. He, he also understood, I think there were... He took liberties with rules of engagement, but he still had some respect for the the rules of engagement to some degree. Um, whereas Smith very much seems to be like this empty vessel that that Rob Anderson and to to some degree David Parker are just like here's the ideas that you should be doing. And it's it's fascinating that we've gone from a premier who had absolute conviction in his beliefs because he he believed that he knew the things to somebody mm-hmm. who is doing what they're told. And that's that, yeah. that to me is just like a wild pivot in an incredibly short period of time. I agree. I agree. It kind of, it, it feels, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm like my mother was, I'm a bit of a political junkie. So the Americans scare me to death. Like I like, um, See this again, the stroke. I know his name, but I can't say I like the current president. That'd be Mr. Biden. Yes, thank you. I like Mr. Biden. He's not, I mean, let's face it, he's still a politician. I'm I'm not saying he's still perfect, but as people go, I think he's he's pretty nice. But he's not he's not Trump. (laughs) Yeah, and Trump, I'm sorry. Polyev and and even Smith, there is so much. They're like Trump light, Trump ish, Trump mm, Trump adjacent. To me, it's scary, scary as heck. You know that these people and how many Canadians support that, and I'm like, like, I don't understand these people. I, I remember when see like I'll, I'll share this little anecdote and then I'll then I'll do the wrap up. But um, when I was younger, in 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 my younger days, I used to look at Alberta politics. I mean, in the in the PC dynasty, pre Redford kind of thing. I'm dating myself a little bit, but whatever. Um, and it was boring. There was nothing was. going on in Alberta politics. Um, and and so I would be like. Well, let's let's change the channel and see what the Americans are doing because there's always bad shit crazy going on down there. But so I understand that, like, you know, the, uh, American politics is very dramatic, but um, we're getting closer to it. We've got legitimate problems up here that we need we to be do. addressing ourselves. And so why anybody in Alberta would be running around with a Trump flag like. I can't wrap my head around that because like, even if you fall on that end of the, the political spectrum where you're a, you're a, a Trumper. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I have questions, but uh, yeah. if that's where you, you hang out, you've got stuff that you could support here that doesn't require you to be all like, like we're not boring in Alberta anymore. I wish we were. I, I remember when we, we used to do I, like I, I, one show every three weeks and we were like, oh, we got to look for things to talk about. And now it's just like, oh, Christ, we got to do at least one a week. <laughs> I, 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 I wish like it's like I said, you know, the last good conservative I can think of is Joe Clark. He was he was a steady guy. 
He was not. Uh, he was. Was not excited. He was. Honestly, I wish we had that kind of steady, kind of boring. You know, that steady, kind of boring conservative. I would probably vote for, even though he's right? a conservative, and I am. I am against conservatives, like one hundred percent. I'm like an NDP on a on a good day. Like that's actually my my tendency is is that NDP side of the fence. But you know, I'm also one of these people that I look at things like in a a very rational kind of way, and I'm like, mm, I, I I like the NDP, but unless the person I'm voting for is like guaranteed to win their seat, I'm probably going to vote liberal. Luckily, where I live right now, we have an NDP MP, so I'm happy with that. But you know, if things shifted suddenly. And he wasn't basically, from the looks of, of the numbers, looked like he was going to win his seat again. I would probably swap over and, and vote liberal because. I just want, be, I would love boring back. I would love boring back too. I would, I would love, I would love boring back. Um, I would too. So I feel you. All right, Tammy. I'll let you take back the, the microphone and thanks for chatting with me. Always a pleasure to have you on, and I like again. Like I know that 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 this is uh, uh, um, the the with with the show. I, I I rant for like an hour, hour and a half some nights. Um, but it's the, the the perspectives and the 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 different viewpoints that people come from, and I love the fact that there are people who who listen to the show and who from time to time weigh in that have perspectives that differ from like across the the province i it means so much to me as somebody who grew up in rural alberta and now lives in one of the big cities uh that that we have people who listen to the show and comment regularly who are from rural alberta and the big cities because that's what this province is and i think that one of the the, the big things that we all have to work on is recognizing that we have far more in common than uh, we have differences and we just got to focus on that and deal with all the, all the bullshit. Um, that's it for this week. I'm going to do a couple of different plugs here. So if you, you're, you, you don't want to hear the, the advertising spiel, now is a good time to pull the shoot. But we do have a couple of things we want to mention. I want to start off with the, the toque that I talked about earlier. Um, this is our limited edition cuffed beanie in conjunction with the good folks at abpoly.ca uh we've, we've got these fancy dukes they're delightful good for the winter and what with the snowfall warning that the southern end of the province at the very least central and southern end of the province is facing over the the next little bit the way the weather's turning oh too could be good to have you can get yours at abpoly.ca and the benefits of the toque is all of the, the the net proceeds, the profits, the money stuffs, all of that goes towards uh, supporting Cassandra, who is a listener of the show. She's one of the people who weighed in tonight and as she navigates being houseless and trying to find her, her way through that. Um, we do have other merch as well. We've got our uh, our hoodies. We've got the the pullover hoodies. They don't come with the guitar or the the light scruff. We have the the mugs. Um, 
which are delightful. I, I enjoy my coffee from a breakdown mug just about every morning these days. We also have the two different types of shirts. We've got the Keep the Conversation Going t-shirt, and we've got the There's a Lot to Unpack here because apparently when we were chatting with the folks that were doing the designs, they were like, you know, you say these whole things a lot over and over and over again. I feel like if Danielle Smith was going to get a, a brand t-shirt, it would be, I can tell you, ellipsis, because that's how she starts just about every time that she's making up an answer or just giving an answer. You can call it what you will. But that is our show for tonight. As always, if you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here at The Breakdown, you can sign up to be one of our Patreon sponsors at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdownab, where for just the price of a fancy cup of coffee a month, you can help us to continue to, to do all the content creation that we do and do the FOIPs that we do. By the way, for everybody who's listening, we're dropping a FOIP tomorrow. We got results back because we were curious. The uh, Alberta Pensions website that the government of Alberta uh, launched, the, uh, the albertapensionplan.ca. We were curious. That, that, that domain's been registered for, for quite a while. It's been registered since 2013. I wonder if the Alberta government had to buy it. I wonder how much they paid for it. Tomorrow, we're gonna we're gonna put that out there because it's uh if if, if you go to like one of the the websites like the GoDaddy, uh, you can buy websites for very very cheap. We we may have a couple in our inventory um, that are just for fun, but you can buy like Alberta hyphen dot or Alberta hyphen pension hyphen plan for for one cent for the first year. Uh, it's dirt cheap. That's uh, that's not what Albertans paid for the albertapensionplan.ca website. We're going to be dropping that number tomorrow, so keep an eye on our social media. And I want to say a big thank you to all of our existing patrons. I want to say patrons and existing big thank you to all of our uh, our community tonight. The, uh, the chat was lit up tonight. And I really got to say, the, the support that people... Like... The organic support. I, I just jumped into the, the 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 chat right now, and I can see that people are are, are right now at this moment rallying around each other, trying to to support um, each other. Uh, Cassandra's getting some great supports in the chat right now, so I want to say a big thank you to our our entire chat audience. You guys are just inspiring. Was the word I was looking for last week that I couldn't come, but it's true. I think you're fantastic. So thanks for that. Uh, thank you to everybody who listened in on the Twitter spaces, the X spaces. Thank you to everybody who weighed in on the X spaces. Um, I don't think we have a, an interview episode this week, but so we'll be back on um, Sunday, a week from today. Uh, and we'll be doing another one of our roundups and we're getting dangerously, dangerously close to the, the start of the legislative session. And if any of the things that we're hearing about quietly in the background are true, this is going to be wild. So catch your breath, maybe enjoy a, a cup of hot cocoa or coffee or something tomorrow with the weather being absolutely ungodly and take care of yourselves. And as always, keep the conversation going. <laughs>